We're going to be in, in uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And I just want you to remember where we're at. The Last Supper's over. Jesus has said, let's go to Gethsemane. Jesus knows where he's headed. He has sent Judas off for the final betrayal. He has been talking to his disciples. I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you alone. I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then last week, as we saw, he, he, or two weeks ago, when we, when we talked about abiding in Christ, he said, he said, I want you to be great fruit bearers for me. And part of being a fruit bearer is I'm going to prune you. Actually, the Father is going to prune you. That's not comfortable. When God begins to take away the dead limbs and, and the things that rub people the wrong way and he begins to, to purify their life, that's not comfortable. And then last week we talked about how he told his disciples, the world hates me and the world will hate you. And the world will persecute you. And not only will the world persecute you, but the religious people will persecute you. Get ready for that. And that's where we left last week. That's not in a very encouraging story, is it? And so Jesus, as he is in our own lives, he brings comfort to the disciples. They haven't quite made it to the Garden of Gethsemane yet. And he takes this teachable moment. He's, he wants to bring them some comfort. They, he's, he's just kind of said, guys, it's going to be tough. It's going to be, and, and you got, most of you are going to die as martyrs. You're headed for persecution. It's not going to be an easy life without me. And then he's going to bring them three comforts beginning in, in chapter 16, verses 5. He says, I'm going to bring you the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to bring you the resurrection. And I'm going to bring you prayer to comfort you. So let's look at John 16, and we're going to start in verse 5 and read down to verse 15. John 16, 5 through 15. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but I cannot bear them, but you cannot bear them right now. And when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will disclose to you what is to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit is, come to you, is coming, he's telling them. Now he's introduced this already in chapter 14. He's talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming. But here he gives the fact that the Holy Spirit is coming to two different distinct types of people. Most of the time we think about the Holy Spirit being involved with believers, right? The Holy Spirit does all kinds of things for us, right? He indwells us, he seals us, he, uh, he guides us, he intercedes for us, he teaches us. He does all kinds of things for believers. But he also plays a part with unbelievers. Oh, come on, we can, we, I know we can do this. Let me, uh, we ordered a new one, it's not here yet. Okay, you guys are going to have to help me back there because this isn't even sending out a signal. Okay, so let's go back one to the Holy Spirit works on the hearts of unbelievers. The Holy Spirit works on the parts of unbelievers. Now, I want you to understand, first of all, that God has placed in every one of us a conscience. We know right from wrong. You can watch that in your own children, your grandchildren. You don't have to teach them the word no. You know, they have, they have a will. And God works in each one of us. And, and, and our conscience will indeed convict us of sin. If you can walk out in the world, you can talk to most anybody. And, and you'll say, you know, the, have you ever sinned? They, they know that concept. And they'll probably rank them, right? Oh, just little sins. Not big sins. But Psalms tells us in Psalms 51, David, now here's David, a man after God's own heart, right? He's been, uh, he has been um, approached by Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba. And this is his psalm of repentance. And he said, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. If you know people who are unbelievers, sin evidences itself even physically. That's why we have things called lie detector tests. Anybody ever have to take a lie detector test? Oh, okay. You, 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 can, you can talk to me about that later, right? Now, there's, there's been several times in my life where because I was going through a background check of some sort, I had to take a lie detector test. Now, it, it's very interesting to me because it's all based on your physiology. When you tell a lie, your heart rate goes up, things happen with your body, your body tenses. Physiologically, sin has an impact on us because God 
built us that way. In uh, Psalms 38, 4, it says, For my iniquities are gone over my head. It is a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. We, when we don't have forgiveness of sin, when unbelievers cannot come to Christ for forgiveness, that sin becomes such a weight they can no longer bear it. Have you ever heard anybody talk about, I got to rock bottom? Right? The burden, they weigh too much for me. You get to the point where you can no longer carry the sin that you're involved with because you have no place to put it down. You have no forgiveness. Forgiveness only comes through Christ. Now the Holy Spirit, when he begins to work in people, unbelievers that are like, you know what? I can't bear this anymore. I can't do this. And, and I, I've told you a number of times about my friend Tom who got saved with a needle of heroin in his arm in a, in a parking garage in Pennsylvania. And he cried out to God, God, kill me or save me. But I cannot live this way. And he pulled the needle out of his arm. He went, went home and flushed his drugs down the toilet and God redeemed him that day. Amen? See, when we can't bear it any longer. Well, in the book of Acts, when Peter was preaching his first sermon, it says this. Now when they heard this, when they heard Peter preaching the gospel, when they heard him talking about the resurrected Jesus, they were what? They were pierced to the heart. Who did that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, hey, listen, you can't do this on your own. It's only through the blood of Jesus that you can have forgiveness. They were pierced to the heart. And, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? When the Holy Spirit begins the conviction process, you can't run fast enough to get away from the Holy Spirit. And he says, listen, all you have to do is come to Jesus. You have to come in confession. You have to come in repentance and let him begin the process of healing you and changing you. The Holy Spirit deals with unbelievers. Now why would that be a comfort to the disciples? Can you imagine? He's, he's told these guys, I'm, I'm taking, my ministry is now your ministry. What has he been doing for three and a half years? Man, you've been healing people, raising the dead. It's your job now. And they're like going, how in the world do we get people to change? Because of their own accord, do they have any power to make people change? But when Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict the world, they're going to be ready. When Jesus said, the, the fields are white unto harvest, he was talking to the apostles. He said, listen, these guys are ready because the Holy Spirit's working in their heart. They, they're ready to believe. You just need to share with them the good news. 
And folks, I know most of us, we get scared about telling people about Jesus. Because, oh, what if they reject him? What if they don't, what if they don't pray the prayer? What if they, you know, we put all these what ifs in. But what if they did? What if the Holy Spirit was working in their lives and they said, I want to believe. I've watched that happen. I've watched people walk into, walk into my office. Of, I've prayed with people in their homes. Yes, I've been waiting for somebody to tell me what this was all about. The Holy Spirit goes ahead of us and prepares hearts. Well, not only that, but he also says the Holy Spirit guides believers. Did you, did you catch that? The Holy Spirit guides us. He teaches us. It actually began back in chapter 14 when Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to remembrance all that I said to you. What a promise. What a promise that God will indeed teach us all things. He will guide us to where we need to go. He gives us Holy Spirit nudges. Pay attention. Because when we miss those, it has eternal consequences sometimes. You know, and it becomes, if you get, you know, and that's for me, for me, when, when I miss one of those, and, and I mean yesterday when I was sitting with my daughter, and, and you know, I, and I had gone through that experience having not picked up the telephone when I should have. I thought, wow. I let her down. I missed the Holy Spirit nudge. We have to be constant. We have to live in intentionality and listening to the Holy Spirit say, you need to stop and talk to that person. You need to pick up the phone. You need to, you need to go visit that person. And when I feel those, you know, if I ever show up at your house, you're probably pretty sure that the Holy Spirit said, you need to get over there because God does that. And he guides us. In, uh, in 1 John uh, 2, it says, As for you, the anointing, now who anoints us? The Holy Spirit. The anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you, <coughs> excuse me, about all, Things It is true and is not a lie. And just as was taught you, you abide in him. You see, we have, we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, we spent all of last year memorizing our verses all last year that we memorized as a church. You memorized 12 verses last year in how to lead somebody to Christ. Every one of the verses that we memorized in 2021 was to prepare you for sharing the gospel with people. Now here's, here's my suggestion. Go home and you grab that 12 pack of cards. Hopefully you kept all 12 of them. You go home and you grab those and you start reviewing those. And you know what's going to happen? Is, is God's going to say, okay, now it's time to share. Now it's time to share with this person. 
And you'll have those in the Holy Spirit. You say, what if I forget? The Holy Spirit will bring those to your mind. And, and he will allow you to minister to those. He, I mean, imagine these guys. We have 66 books of the Bible. And we, most of us, we probably have a, a half a dozen copies of different translations somewhere in our house. And we can read in all different kinds of translations. Right? What did they have? They had the Torah. And if they were lucky, they could go to the temple and read part of it. They had some of the Old Testament prophets that had been recorded. But it was all here. They memorized vast amounts. And and, and Jesus, they didn't have... None of the Gospels, they haven't even been written yet. So these guys are going to write the Gospels for the most part. They didn't have, you know, we, we look at a lot of our theology today comes from the Apostle Paul that wrote a great portion of the New Testament. They didn't have any of that. But what did Jesus say? I will bring that back to your mind. I will teach you. And we have all of these resources. We, and yet, we don't want to, Oh, that takes a lot of time to do a study on, and you name whatever it is that you're interested in. But when we do that, the Holy Spirit brings us to the point where we share with others. Well, not only was the Holy Spirit a comfort for these guys, I'm not leaving you an orphan, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to guide you. And when the Holy Spirit came upon him, did, do you realize in the book of Acts how many thousands of people got saved when Peter preached? 3,000 one time, 3,000 men one time, 5,000 the next time. And it says they were adding daily to the church as people got saved. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be awesome if that happened here in Albany? You know, we, we, we go out to the Convoy of Hope and we have the Connections 10 out there and you get to start praying with the guys like we saw up here that, that are really, you know, oh, I got saved in prison, but what do I do now? And God just says, okay. We're gonna, we're, I'm going to hook you up with a brother that's going to disciple you. When the Holy Spirit starts working, it gives us great comfort. Well, let's look at John chapter 16. Uh, verses 16 to 22. And let's look at the comfort of the resurrection. A little while, you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And some of the disciples then said to one another, what is this thing that he's telling us a little while, and you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me, and because I go to the Father... So they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you will grieve 
but your grief will be turned to joy. Because a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born into this world. Therefore, you too have grief now. But I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one takes your joy away from you. Anybody know joy suckers? <laughs> right? You, you walk into the room and it's like, whoop, all the joy gets sucked out. And what does he say? Nobody can take your joy. He said, you will have what though? You will have grief. You will weep. You will lament. Because the reality is, before you can have resurrection, you have to have a death. And he's preparing them. I mean, literally at this point, literally hours from now, I'm going to be hanging on a cross. I am going to die. They didn't know what to do with that. But that term that comes in over and over in this passage, a little while. A little while you will have grief. Three days. And he had told them several times. Three days. As the sign of Noah was, who was in the belly of the whale for three days. So the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days. He was telling them a little while your grief is. And I want you to, the grief was very real. When we come to John chapter 20, and we see Mary Magdalene. Now Mary Magdalene was the woman, we know that she was at the cross. Mary Magdalene was, was one of those people who too much was given, or too much was forgiven that you loved much, that was a Mary Magdalene. And she had gotten all ready to go back to the tomb to put, they had followed, they had followed Joseph at Arimathea. They knew where he was laid. So they were going to go to the tomb and they wanted to put, uh, put the, the aromatic, uh, uh, it'll come to me here in a minute. They, they, wanna, they wanted to put the herbs and the spices all over Jesus to preserve his body. She went to the tomb and the tomb was rolled away and she didn't even have the thought to go see if his body was in her. Ran home, told everybody, and then she comes back. We don't know where he's at. The angels tell her, who are you looking for? He is not here. And then in John 20, verses 11, it says, But Mary was standing alone outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Her grief was overwhelming. Matter of fact, she was crying so hard that right after this, Jesus appears on the scene. And she thought he was the gardener. She did not recognize who he was until he said her name. He said, Mary. 
And she heard those same words that she had heard so many times when Jesus called her name. She recognized it. And what happened to her grief, it immediately turned to joy. Teacher, Rabboni, you're alive. And that's what happens with believers. You see, we were dead in our sin. And when we realize we have a risen Savior that has paid the price for our sin, we go from having grief to having joy. Now notice it also says about the world. What did it say about the world? But the world will rejoice. Well, their their rejoicing only lasted for a little while. Can you imagine... So the demons, right? The demons knew the Old, Old Testament. The demons, Satan was part of tempting Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, when he took that last breath and said, it is finished, what do you think they were doing? There was a party going on. They were dancing. Jesus is dead. Ah, yeah, they were going. They had a big party. And it lasted all of three days. And then their joy was gone. Because when the tomb opened up and Jesus walked out, their joy turned to grief. Because Jesus is risen. And you know what it says? In Revelation chapter 1, verses 18, it says, I was dead. Jesus talking, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. And then one day John penned the gospel, or penned the revelation of Jesus Christ. And all the demons were reading over his shoulder. How does it end? How does it end? And how does it end? And one day all the Demons of of hell will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and will be sealed up. That's what they have to look forward to. Their grief is real. But we have joy. We have joy because we know a Savior. Turn to Psalms chapter 30. Psalms chapter 30. I want to read a the first five verses to you. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I could, would not go down to the pit. Praise the Lord for you, his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may not last for the night, but a shout of joy will come in the morning. Amen? 
Weeping will not last but for the night. You see, he's talking in here about how he's messed up. And we all do that. We all mess up. And we may grieve over that. But, but the wonderful news is what? When we cry for help, what does it say he will do? He will heal me. Whatever that is in your life that you need healed, he is the great physician. Whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, he is the healer. For his anger is but for a moment. You see, we get out in sin. God doesn't particularly like that, does he? Matter of fact, if you're a child of God, what quite often does he do when you get out in sin? He takes you to the woodshed. Those who he loves, he will what? Chastise. It's not comfortable being in sin if you're a child of God. Shouldn't be. But what does it say? He says his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. His favor is for a lifetime. You know, David, David messed up a good bit in his life, didn't he? But at the end of his life, you know what God called him? What was it? A man after my own heart. Isn't that awesome? God doesn't look at how much we screwed up. God looks at how much we love him. And then he says, weeping lasts, may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Hold on, my child, joy comes in the morning, weeping only lasts for the night. Amen? You see, I don't know what you're going through, but I know that God knows. And he says, it's not going to last. He says, I was resurrected from the dead, and because I'm resurrected, you can have joy. And of course, he writes to us in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There it is. 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm going to start at verse 18 first, and then I'm going to come back. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, what are the words? But I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as to the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, the resurrection, folks, right there. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this is to say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
then we who are alive and remain will be caught up with him together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Are you comforted today that you know that Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave and because he did, you're going to be resurrected one day. Amen? And all of those saints that have gone before us. I'm going to get to meet my daddy. My daddy's waiting for me in heaven. My sister is waiting for me in heaven. My grandmother is waiting for me in heaven. A lot of the saints that I have buried right here at Eastside are going to be waiting. Because we have a resurrected Savior He said, I want you guys to be comforted, not because I'm going to die, but because I will rise again. The resurrection means everything. Be comforted with that. Well, let's look at the last piece, and let's look at what it says about prayer. Verses 23 through 33. And in that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. And until you have asked, and until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I will not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come to the world. I am leaving the world again and going to my Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. But this we believe, that you came from God. And Jesus answered them and said, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each of his own, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. You see, the reality is, is God wants your joy to be full. He says, I want your whole life to be full of joy. Now, now what does joy have to do? How, how is it different? You see, happiness comes from happening. You know, most people, when they go to the doctor and they get a diagnosis that's not good, they aren't very happy about it. But with the fact that Jesus is with us, they can have joy. Why? Well, 
Either way, I'm a winner. Right? Either Jesus heals me and I get to testify to the goodness of God or he takes me home and I get a new body. And whatever that disease was is gone. See, I'm a winner either way. I can have joy. I can have joy in the midst of whatever it's going through. And it may, we, may don't, we don't have to be happy. But we can have the joy. The joy comes from what? The joy comes from the peace that God gives us. And he says here, you don't have to ask me questions or you can go straight to the Father with your questions. You can go straight to the Father with prayer. In Psalms 91 it says, and he will, he, the, the righteous man, will call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let me see my salvation. When we call on him, where? Where are, where are they? In the midst of trouble. Quite often that's the time we wait to talk to God, isn't it? We're, not, we're too busy for God until we get in the middle of trouble. He said, I will come, I'll rescue, I will honor him. I, you know, it's one of the few things that God tells us with the blessing of long life is prayer. In Psalms 55, There we go. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. What's, to cast your burden on the Lord, what has to happen first? You have to be burdened. It doesn't say you're never going to have a burden. But when you have that burden, where do you go with it? You go to the Lord. In prayer. That's how you, isn't that how you cast your burdens to the Lord? Sometimes you have to do it almost physically, right? I don't know about you, but there are times when I just, I say, okay, God, here it is. This is what I'm, this is what I'm carrying right now. It, it's yours. Take it. Michael was talking about his backpack trip up to uh, uh, Olympic, right? And you went back and got somebody's backpack, didn't you? He got to camp first. Laid his backpack down, went down, picked up somebody else's backpack. You know, and that's what God does for us. We're exhausted. We're on the trail. I've been there. I was camping up in the Three Sisters Wilderness and my friends had gone in two days before me. I had to work. And I said, okay, I'm going to meet you. I'll meet you up there. I had my map to the trail. And so they, they had actually llama packed in, the wimps. And they'd got in earlier, two days earlier. And I came up as Friday. And uh, I, I had worked a swing shift the night before, got up at 5 in the morning to get up to backpack in the cool of the day. And I was headed up about seven miles in, and I got to mile six, and I was huffing, and I was puffing, and I was out of water. And it, I was just like, ugh. 
and all of a sudden, down the trail, I saw Kim, Kim Bates, coming down the trail. And he said, here, let me take that pack from you. And then right behind him was Scott, Scott Darling. And Scott says, here, here's my water bottle. Drink all you need. We're almost home. We're almost to camp. They took that off. Oh, yeah. I can make this last mile. No problem. We walked around the corner, and here in camp was another one of our friends cooking dinner. Kim had gone on ahead. My tent was already set up. That's what God does. Some of you are on the last mile. Life has been hard. And you're saying, here it is, Lord. And Jesus says, let me take that for you. You don't need to carry it. I'll carry it that last mile. I've got a place prepared for you. We live in an anxious world. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxiety on him. Because why? He cares for you. He cares for you. He loves you so much. He doesn't want you to be worrying about the state of the world. Because why? He's overcome. What? The world. Philippians 4, one of, one of my favorite verses. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, it's interesting how he ends this chapter. He says in verse 32, I know in just a couple hours you're all going to run away. Peter, you're going to deny me. The rest of you are going to run off. You're going to hide yourself in your houses. You see, the reality is, is Jesus understood their weakness. Even when we lose faith, Jesus is faithful. Even when we doubt even when we think, Lord, how am I going to do this? He says, you don't have to do it. I will do this for you. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of courage, I have overcome the world. Amen? He overcame the world on the cross. He said, the world is mine and I'm going to take it back. Satan only had it for a short time. He said, I'm going to the cross, guys, for you. Because you can't have a resurrection unless you have a death. Death.